Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. The Sound and Vision podcast book is now available for pre-order. Why I Make Art features an in-depth look at 30 artists from Chris Martin to Robin Williams. There's also thematic quote sections and images from sketches artists contributed to the Sound and Vision guest book. It has a foreword written by Rishikesh Hirway of the Song Exploder podcast and Netflix show. You can get your copy at the Altelier Editions website. There's a link in the Sound and Vision website to pre-order yours today. My solo show, Escape Plan, is up now at Miles McHenry Gallery at 511 West 22nd Street in Manhattan. The show will be up until April 23rd. You can check out the catalog at the Miles McHenry website. Sound and Vision is supported by the New York Studio School. The school welcomes artists from around the world to join this summer in New York City or virtually from anywhere in the world. To learn from dedicated artists and to expand as a maker in the school's legendary marathon program. Rigorous and immersive marathons unfold over 10 days from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time daily and present an extensive range of art-making strategies, comprehensive critiques, and inspirational discussions. Expansive first-hand discoveries propel artists to relate to drawing, painting, and sculpture as direct methodologies for understanding their experience in the world the profound impact of which continues far beyond each marathon's conclusion. Generous, partial scholarships are available. Visit nyss.org to apply today. NYC Crit Club is a radical alternative art program offering critique, community, and connection for artists post-BFA and MFA programs. NYC Crit Club is now enrolling through May 15th for their summer semester. 16 online and in-person courses are available. All in-person courses are hosted in their Bushwick, Brooklyn studio space. Courses offer a wide range of focus from advanced critique to professional practices to material intensives as well as history and theory-based seminars. New faculty include artists Clarity Haynes, Erica Renee, Mina Hassan, Paul Gagner, Jacqueline Cedar, among others, and returning faculty. NYC Crit Club was founded in 2017 and is proud to offer BIPOC scholarships and financial aid for artists in need. Please visit www.nyccritclub.com to learn more and enroll in a summer course. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. All the paintings in my current show are made with Golden. And in fact, I've been using Golden for about 20 years. Golden makes the best acrylics, oils, and watercolors in the business. You can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Based in Seattle, Fulcrum makes incredible coffee that you can have delivered to your door. They have subscription services where you can have different blends delivered that you tailor to your favorite balance of coffee beans. You could save 20% on your order by entering the code ALFREDSTUDIO when you order from their site. Check out their amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Kate Clark is a sculptor who lives in Brooklyn, New York. 
Her first solo exhibit was at Claire Oliver Gallery in New York in 2008. Since then, she's exhibited in museum shows including the Aldrich, the Islip Art Museum, the Bellevue Arts Museum, the Cranbrook Art Museum, the Frist Center of the Visual Arts, the Winnipeg Art Gallery, Glenbow Museum, the Nevada Museum of Art, Brown University, Newcomb Museum, the Hillard Museum, the Bemis Center, the J. Paul Getty Museum, amongst many others. Her work is collected internationally and she's collaborated with Claudia Rankin for Claudia's book Citizen and Kanye West and designer for the video Panda. Kate attended Cornell University and the Cranbrook Academy of Art and received fellowships and grants from the Gentile Artist Residency, the Fine Arts Work Center, the Marie Walsh Sharp, the Virginia Groot Foundation, and the New York Foundation of Art. Her sculptures have been featured in the New York Times, New York Magazine, Art 21, The Village Voice, Paper Mag, The Atlantic, NY Arts, The BBC, Time Out, ID Paris, Cool Hunting, Wallpaper, Huffington Post, and The Wall Street Journal. National Geographic did a documentary on her work in 2015, and I spoke with Kate about material, three dimensions, showing in museums, weird energy, learning by doing, and much more. Here's our conversation. <laughs> I mean, it's funny, it's the technology that gets me. I've talked about my work for 20 years. You know, like, I don't mind talking. Oh, but... we, that's the problem, though, because I don't really talk about the work. <laughs> I know. And I don't have a fabulous story, but I'll do my best. I'm sure you do. Yeah. You don't get to Thanks. making what you're making without having an interesting backstory even if the interest is your creative mind and not okay. like you know i grew up in a you know uh, some crazy farm in kansas where i had eagles landing on my shoulder and yeah, <laughs> whatever. not my story not no. my story no. <laughs> i wish i know i and was curious like... though because i thought you know your work is specific you know it is. You're sculpting but, and you're using this thing that's a thing and you're putting this thing with it. You're hybriding a thing to it. And it's it's specific to, you know, to the point to where you're like, okay, well, this person's making work that's kind of about this thing. And, and it's a very seemingly labor intensive and, you know, it's it's a focused way of making. And then my mind starts to wonder of like, okay, well, how does one get to that point? Which, you know, if someone's making kind of, I think it's a compliment in a way, because if someone's making kind of like a generic abstraction, you're like, anyone can get to that point. Like, yeah, I don't know. I just was painting and I really started getting interested in like, you know, red and green. And I just started playing with lines or whatever it is, you know, but in working with like specific materials that you're working with, you think, oh, was this person, how did they get to that point? You know? I do. I get that question a lot. And I get the question, why? <laughs> Which I think is a funny well, question. Why? Why do you, you know, make that? Why, but, do, you, why do you choose yeah, that? Yeah. Why did I choose that? And I'm not that, that artist who was a colorist or anything. I, just like everyone, it is a total combination of life experience that brought me to this point. Right. Um, and, you know, I lived... I grew up in here, you know, New York till I was five and then Connecticut and sort of in the woods, but I didn't love animals any more than anybody else. You know, everybody sort of loves animals. Yeah. But the, 
um, it was just a, a path. I, I was a painter. My dad was a painter. Um, I went to Cornell to paint. I switched to sculpture because I had this really empowered female professor. And so mm -hmm. I did all this big steel work. I dated a sculptor. <laughs> so I just kind of stayed in sculpture. And I realized then that in painting and drawing, I wasn't doing anything conceptual. You know, like they didn't really push con concept at Cornell, but still it was just sort of an illustrative thing. Right. Um, so I stayed there and then um, I got to go to Rome where I studied the figure. You know, like so much of that was figurative work that I loved. Of course. And then um, I moved, I met my husband, we moved back to Rome. Um, and so I didn't go to grad school until I was close to 30. And by then I was doing really like more experimental stuff. Right. Well, I and, think um, real quick before we go, I mean, that was a quick recap of your leap. life. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's a wrap. No. Um, <laughs> the reason I think the why question is irritating as that might be as a compliment is because if you, your work has forged out like an area that not a lot of people are navigating, I think. You know what I mean? So whenever you see something that is really original or, or just, you know, is has a little bit of awe-inspiring aspect to it, you know, then people say like, oh, well, wha the material is yes. different, right? Not a lot of people are using like taxidermied animals in their work. So that's the why. Oh, well, why... Why did you get there? But I think it's also, too, that it's not like other things. So someone will ask why you're doing something when you're doing something that's not like everyone else is doing. And that's a compliment, I think. It is. It, and, I, and I think that I never know what they expect me to say. You know, I'm like, what do you mean, why? Um, yeah. I, I know what they're expecting you to say. What do you think they're expecting? You to that say? when you were a kid, you were driving with your parents and like you swerved away from a deer from that moment on, you wanted to, right. you locked eyes, exactly. you locked eyes right. with the animal in the headlights sure. and it was right. a moment and I was, and then I'm going to base the rest of my creative life on that moment of trying to connect <laughs> and fear and like the moment frozen and that's what they're thinking. Yeah. I should have a better story, but <laughs> That's not, <laughs> that's not a good story. I drive to Pennsylvania to teach. Almost right. hitting a deer is not oh, a goodness. good story. Right, I know. That's it's true. horrifying. <laughs> it is. Um, yeah, no, this, this story is conceptual. And that's, I, I try to tell people that all the time. Because in the, you know, 18 years that I've been making this work, it's changed so much. Um, you know, like there was this moment where taxonomy became super trendy you know, and I really wanted to survive that moment. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, like, I have always been kind of an academic person, and I love science-based stuff. I love biology, and I was doing work in grad school about what um, what made the face communicative. And because I was I was at Cranbrook, which is in Michigan, and I, I just it was so fascinating about how unbelievably complex our culture could become by reading every single muscle in the face and how the whole face transformed to becomes like every movement and every positioning had a reason to communicate through our faces and animals simply don't have that and have never evolved to have that as much as we have so I took this little raccoon I went to a taxonomy place I found this raccoon the guys there I, I've never had a lot of luck communicating with 
people in the taxidermy world. <laughs> like they, they told me that uh, to soak it for 12 hours. And so I took it home. I soaked it for 12 hours. In that time, pores open. All the fur falls out. It was like a disaster. And they said, you can Thanks. sculpt for two hours. And I never sculpted the face enough. I never took a lesson. So I made this little creature thing. It was satirical with hair and teeth and blah. And, um, but it was a starting point. Like yeah. even though it was satirical and totally weird. And it was, I had been told this woman from, this was the middle of my second year of, the, of my grad school and I'd had a really good experience at Cranbrook it's really like self-motivated it was a it was just the perfect school for me they let us do whatever we wanted there were no classes and um and they just and the other thing was this was this tiny little raccoon and so as I pushed the work and tried to figure out how to work with leather how to sculpt a face I did a deer that was the size of my head and that transformed everything for me I'm like okay this isn't this weird science-based what you know like sci-fi satire thing it was actually meaningful to confront this piece that was sculpted better it looked like me and it was my scale and I was yeah. like okay that that's where I'm going to take this work and I was so proud of it and it's so awful <laughs> I love looking back on that piece I'm like oh my god this is still really unresolved yeah but, but those door um, opening pieces sometimes aren't yeah, the best it was, work and, but it opens yeah. the door, you know, to something new. And there were times where I moved away from this work because taxidermy is, you know, such a frustrating material working with hide and the cost and the shipping and the, you know, there's so many extremely problematic besides, you know, ethically problematic <laughs> issues with it. Um, but I just kept going back to it. Like there was something as I kept pushing it, the conversation became so much more complex about, you know, why what our relationship is with animals, why we're so deeply, deeply connected to them, but can also switch that gear off and completely dominate them and, you know, be destructive towards them. So it's, it's such a complicated place where we sit in, you know, in the animal kingdom. I agree. But, yeah. There's yeah. like a fascination, inherent fascination with people to the animal. And then also that's really the idea of reading faces is really interesting, you know, and I think it's so under, well, maybe it's not understudied. Just people just don't think about it that much. But I saw a video after the whole Oscar slap thing where they broke down Chris Rock's body language and what it uh -huh. meant. Fascinating. Oh, I'm, I'm going to watch Like that. it all means <laughs> stuff, you know, yeah. like having your hands behind your back and the way you stand and the way you're afterwards, the way you look and you move. Or like when they do those when they study criminals and like their face when they're like trying to tell if they're lying and stuff like that. I mean, it's really fascinating that we do things inherently with our face and our body language that most people just don't even pick up on or know about. Well, and that's the beauty of working one with animals and two with a human face. Like I have those two advantages where people are drawn to both. So even though they may resist the combination, like they kind of can't resist, there's so much, of a starting point with both of those things, you know, that yeah. that's already in the work. Um, it's a cheat code. It's like, you're going to definitely now to your point, people might hate it or think right. it's unethical or whatever, but people will be interested in it. You know what I mean? It's kind of like yeah. the argument of cloning, you know what yeah. I mean? Like everyone's fascinated by it of this idea that you could do it. Some people are like, no way that's going to create the end of humanity. Other people are like, oh, it's great for medicine, but is that ethnic, ethically okay to just be harvesting parts or, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. But, but that is the beauty of like, 
as you know, being an artist, like my work is just about suggestion. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like asking it's, a question. Yeah. It's like what, you know, and I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to point my finger so much, you know, like I agree. Cloning is ter like, it's so much potential, but also terrifying. It's, you know, and so that we all kind of both resist and completely, you know, um, find that stuff irresistible at the same time. Yeah. I, it's funny cause I, in my work, I, I actively think about trying to ask the, or put someone on the fence to where they can't figure out is this good or bad. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. But I don't think I get them on the fence because the imagery is so passive in a way it's almost like subconsciously hopefully it, it seeps in but I feel like with your work it is so confrontational because you are a it's a face-to-face -face sort of thing which is like you know if you paint the figure nine foot tall it's going to be confrontational because it's like yeah. a physical relationship to that image you know and um and yours is like the human mixed with the it's just and it's three-dimensional so right, and that's and that's the beauty space. of sculpture in general yeah. that, that it's that body, physical relationship. And I always make them big, because yeah. I realized that in that first thesis piece, I know you know I noticed that the hierarchy is so much better if we're not dominating physically. Like the if as long as the piece physically dominates us, it's just a better starting point. The viewer can be uneasy, and I try to make the sculpture sort of dignified and confident and big you know like yeah. in the scale it, it's it has it changes the hierarchy that we always think we're above the animal you know so right. um it it makes it harder you know it's it's physical work it's hard to ship it's hard to get the high you know all that stuff but i storage. definitely think that storage yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> but that's the, the good and the bad you know yeah for but sure. you get that impact <laughs> same thing with right. like large two-dimensional images you know Oh, yeah. You get that right. big impact, but then it's not easy. And little yeah. little work, I feel like, is always so intimate. And it's beautiful because it brings the viewer in. But sometimes it's easier to just gloss over for people to gloss over it. You know, it doesn't ask as much of the viewer in the sense of, like, uh, aggressively. It's almost right. like it's you got to come gem. to me yeah. sort of thing, you know. Right, totally. But I, I mean, I really try to avoid the word creature in the in the work and if it's small that's the only word you know, like people just want to call it oh that, yeah that's an annoying know, so. word it is Creature. <laughs> I, know, like, I shouldn't be saying it in this interview because i i really have i'm over that but <laughs> um but just in the time like in the time that i've made the work that resistance has changed so much um the whole concept of hybrid was not cool yeah. when i first started making this work like nobody ever it was like much more much easier to accept something that was pure you know like my transformation is meant to be seamless so that you it's not two things stuck together it's one thing um but like now everything is about hybridity everything yeah. is about that celebration of broadening of celebrating all the different gender ethnic like everything in a like if you see an ad for a kid that kid you cannot put your finger on any specific identity you know right. it's like yeah. and and so that's that's really great i think because i didn't mind the resistance to the work i i think a reaction to the work is better than no reaction yeah. but i do think it opens doors for me to keep switching it up a little bit right well I, it's funny yeah it's a lot has changed really quickly right 
Because yeah. I remember like in the beginning of what I was doing when I was using a computer that people felt like the computer was this like thing of like, you know what I mean? Oh, you you make digital work or like right, what? You're faking it. That's yeah, not, it's like, you know, is that? <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, for how sure. quickly that's gone from the equation. Right. Yeah. All those big, tall hills back in the day that just kind of fade away, you know, and now everyone wants to do everything the, you remember in school when it was kind of like you, you, you should, there was a, a prevailing thought from a lot of people that you should just focus, pick something, do one thing and focus on it and don't right. be the Find jack of all voice. trades, you know, yeah. don't like muddy everything down. Now it's like, if you're not, you know, a musician slash a, you know, fashion model slash influencer slash whatever, you know, YouTuber, it's like, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> I know it's pressure and yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm an object maker. Like I don't mind 2d. I'm kind of trying to explore color and, you know, some things that I have, you know, have sort of left behind, but, um, I can't even, I'm not even good with makeup. Like there's so many creative avenues where I should be really good. And I, I'm really only good at what I do. <laughs> you know, like, Which but, is, it's good that you're good at it and you do well with it because that is a very specific, oh, I guess you could always fall back on some sort of <laughs> something. Some sort of Etsy crafting. Yeah, <laughs> I've got nothing. Um, well, so more, you know, the questions that at the beginning you were alluding to that you get similar questions. I mean, I'm, and I was joking about the deer story, but I'm, I'm, always really interested in people who grow up in New York I well I didn't I was here till f I was five so it's not but very formative but you got yeah. some wiring I got some wiring and my dad had lived here for a long time so we we moved to Connecticut but we were the family that did come back to New York a lot did go to the museums did right. go to um we went to what was it called um Moomenshine and other crazy stuff yeah. <laughs> but like um the Harlem Globetrotters, all that fun stuff, nice. you know, old New York. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I had a, because my dad was an artist, I had a pretty good um, upbringing as far as culture. So, you know, I got a, to, like, did he have a studio where you lived in the city? He had a studio where I lived and he wasn't a full-time painter anymore by the time he had us. He had his own small company and, um, but he painted in the basement using like the worst stuff. And yeah. when, I, I, when I got to Cornell, they were like, none of this stuff is allowed. And he had died of cancer <laughs> oh, when sorry. I was 12. Oh, that's okay. I don't, I mean, I just mean like, I work with very um, strange materials too. You know, right. and I have to be super duper careful. It's like all of us, Why well, all I, of that. I almost made a crack that like the old syllabi from when I was in school was like materials, like the worst stuff. It was totally. just like turpentine. <laughs> yeah, it was like exactly. any oil. They didn't give a shit. It was just like, have at it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Huff away. I mean, my dad smoked for 30 years. You know, it's yeah. not like it was necessarily their material. Right, <laughs> it was right. like there was so Contributing much. Contributing factors. Right. So much of the uh, lifestyle was not so concerned back then. My, my, <laughs> my dad always told the story when I was younger because I grew up in Pittsburgh. And he said, well, you know, because he smoked for a little while, but then he quit when he got cancer from it. And then oh. he got rid of the cancer from it, but oh, it was in his bladder. But um, he he was a smoker for a long time, you know. And we, I would always say as a young kid, like you shouldn't smoke. He's like, well, your your grandfather never smoked a cigarette a day in his life, and he died of lung cancer. And later, I found out he worked in a coal mine. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
like, Dad, you have to course, finish that story. There were other factors there that came into play. Like, I don't For think sure. it like cigarettes. Yeah. Anyways. Um, but talking about like the environment, I mean, that primal shift is what I explained to the kids, like the smoking thing. That yeah. is such a massive primal shift. I took my kids to a photography show at um, Brick, and it was about transgender. And mm -hmm. so it's all these graphic images of, you know, um, body changes and stuff. And my youngest daughter tugs on my sleeve. She's like, look, look. And I'm like, what, honey? She's like, they're smoking. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the only thing she took from that that was problematic. That was the, <laughs> like, like, the red flag. Was, yeah, mom, look. And I'm like, they're in another country, honey. Don't worry. It is weird, isn't it? Like, it's yeah. totally shipped. Although vaping isn't very good, and that's mm. kind of way more common but, now, I guess. I know. But I do, it does make me hopeful that there can be a massive primal shift in, Definitely. in our psyche and, and improve things. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, you know, we go, well, before COVID, we go to Japan every year, and there's there's a lot there's still a lot of people smoke there and it yeah. always freaked out my son you know like or or all of us you know they would have yeah. these areas where like a cafe where it's like the smoking side and the non-smoking side and there's nothing separating it so it's <laughs> it was geographic i was like air right. moves but yeah like nowadays i feel like people are just coming to terms with like you just don't do that anymore you know but i read that this you know the cigarette companies switch gears when america wouldn't do it anymore they switched to japan and other countries yeah yeah. And then they'll switch to, you know, another method of getting it to you. You know what I mean? Outside yeah. of smoking. So it's like gas companies right now are, they're figuring out ways to make it happen, <laughs> to keep their hands, you know, full on whatever full they figure out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you do have to be hopeful. Oh, I'm you optimistic. Know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it's everything's even like art school. Like I teach, you know, you were mentioning you don't teach. Um, I Did you feel like you had really good teachers? I did. And I do. I The only school I work with a little bit is the New York Academy. I critique there and I've, cut a t yeah. I've taught a couple of master classes. And I love it. Um, but I just haven't um, balanced my life that way where I can do it all. Right. Like I have kids. I have my studio career. Yeah, and a lot. And I'm sh maybe you find the same thing. I find myself way too attached to the students. I don't, I can't, I'm very maternal in that way. And I, I can't do it. You know, like I yeah. can't have 13 more people I have to worry about, you know. Yeah, I, I learned right to separate. Now. I think maybe at the beginning I was more like yeah. that. And then I learned it's for the best if I <laughs> have that <laughs> <Healthier>. space. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a healthy. Also, too, I teach in another state. So I'm only there a couple of days a week. So that's perfect. It's right? a little bit of a. But when I first started teaching, I would teach kind of like my teachers did when I was younger, which was way more aggressive. You know, and I realized we've evolved. You know what I mean? Like it's different than it used to be, you know, for good or for bad. Yeah. There's upsides I mean, there's actually, and downsides. Right. There's a lot more, unfortunately, that you have to talk to them about, about career stuff, you know, but. Oh, yeah. But other than that, you know, like, I'm sure you still get through to them as far as how to, um, how to find what they want to say, you know, right. like that's the, yeah. Yeah. And working hard, you know, you got to work hard. Yeah. Which isn't as popular. <laughs> <laughs> there's too much distractions, I think. It's like you should yeah. be here, like you should wake up and come here and work all day and all night and then go home and then come back here and you get a lot of work done. And they're like, yeah, there's a lot of stuff on TV that I got to wow. catch up on, yeah. you know, 
that sort of. I mean, not everyone's like that, but I think there's more distractions these days. Oh, I mean, I believe it. I have kids myself, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I when I left grad school, I worked a day job and then went to my studio till 1130 every single night. And I was married. Like my husband was awesome about it. Like we had yeah. Sunday brunch and that was it. Like I caught the 12 o'clock F train every night of the week and the weekend. And I so resented if people came in town or something and needed me to do something besides right. my studio. And people would say to me, what is your drive? Why are you doing that? But because you love to do it, right? Yeah. Ideally, I, I, mean, I never questioned it. Yeah. yeah it's not like you're punching <laughs> yeah. a clock. You know what right. I mean? Like you're putting in the work because you really want to do this thing. You have that passion for it, you know? And Yeah. I mean, there was no question. My last job I loved so much. I worked on Jane's Carousel. Do you know that? Oh, in of course. Yeah. Yeah. When I had it was in the garage space, like before they it, moved it? Even before that. It was in 55 Washington, which was my studio building. I had a studio there. And um, I had a job four days a week, and I quit that. I had, the the owner, Jane Walentis, yeah. had come to my studio, and I wrote her a thank you note, and she reached out and said, do you want to work on the carousel? So it's this ideal day job of being in my building, wearing a Tyvek suit all day, going up at lunch, wetting down my work at 6 o'clock, going to the bodega, getting dinner, and then working yeah. at night. So, you know, and, um, and that was, you know, that was the life. <laughs> and really then cool. I did the, yeah it was so cool and then I did the Funny Arts Work Center which was that seven month residency in Provincetown which I loved so much and, and at that point I made enough of a body of work that I didn't have a day job anymore after yeah. that yeah I noticed you had done some residency like you've you've done and I wonder as you know as a sculptor with space how did you find that like out of school was it tricky like finding yourself the right space and you know, it always seems more of a hurdle for sculptors. Yeah, it is a drag. And my work has so much weird energy to it that if you have too much in one space, you're just like, oh, God, you know, yeah, like, yeah. I can't, so I can't walk into that yeah. space anymore. Um, but uh, it it's always been OK. Um, I've, I've I had a really good space in Dumbo when it was cheap. And then um, I did that residency and came back and started showing enough with, with galleries that um, the work was moving. And it's just, you know, it's a very lumpy career, but it's, it's definitely been enough where, you know. You've gotten, um, you've gotten through, yeah. Some younger yeah. people just like, wait, Dumbo used to be cheap? I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> I know. Yeah, I back know. in the day. Was, I, I paid 800 there. bucks for a great studio, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> really changed. I remember I when I finished Galhegan, my friend who was a sculptor brought kindly brought some of my big work that I did because I was living in a small Astoria, like tiny little apartment. And uh, he stored it in the studio for a little and I went down to get it from him. It was on J Street. Uh -huh. And, you know, it must have been, I'm guessing, like 500 bucks a month or something. But there were, this building was filled with studios that were, you know, big studios, like really nice spaces like yeah this is what i want to get you know what i mean i know but yeah. i feel like nowadays i don't know that there's that many more down there well they subsidize yeah but it's a long story oh that's yeah a studio different. yeah yeah, studio <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you've, but i went you've, you've always had the space you need basically yeah i basically i mean to be honest we moved apartments you know like 
my apartment cost this much and my studio cost this much and then they switched i had to like we moved apartments we moved into bed for better rents because my studio rent kept going up you know See, it's like that's a supportive family right there it is yeah. that is, <laughs> my kids had no say but my husband and i did that is <laughs> they were support. little <laughs> yeah um but yeah you've got to make it work yeah and i've you know i also show my work in the space like i have a significant space because that's actually how i i have curators and collectors come in there so. right yeah and i've um, noticed you know you've like i'm not sure what it is but on a glance at your cv the museum show to gallery show ratio like you've had a lot of museum shows yeah it's it's a really like i when i go talk to students i try to tell them that every career is completely different and totally you can't the stars align in one way or another. And for some reason with me, I've had very good luck with museum shows. I've been, I've exhibited with like, you know, people I've completely admired. And since the beginning, which was really lucky. Um, and then the gallery thing has not, the stars have not aligned for one reason or another. And I've been fine. I'm in a lot of good public collections. I'm, you know, like I sell the work and one or two pieces a year holds me over. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, the gallery thing has been really hit or miss for me. Right. Well, it, it's different. Uh, I say that too to students because, you know, I have friends who make sculpture like public work or work that, yeah. you know, and they it just doesn't really work in the gallery. You know what I mean? But they do these public art projects that are amazing, yeah, but sure. they're huge processes and like budget and, you know, oh, so right. they learn this whole other way to operate as a visual maker, which is really cool, but it's just totally different than you know other ways to do it so there's I no know, one getting way. a fabricator but you know like really that's a that's a totally different thing yeah. um what was i gonna say i uh yeah the i mean i've had phenomenal museums the getty reached out to me directly and wrote dear kate if i may i'm like yes you may call me kate <laughs> you call me whatever you want like they were lovely came and did a studio visit and then put me in a show at the getty with just five other contemporary artists it was this really beautiful show um and so that's just been it's but but the years that i have museum shows i don't sell anything it's really a weird thing and so and a curator explained it to me she's like if you see if people see your work in the museum they're not thinking i'm going to buy this right. you know so it is a it's sort of a you have to balance the the sort of honor of of being in these museum shows and then the commercial aspect of it is yeah like, that okay. is true right because a lot of yeah. people probably figured that work, the work's already sold and donated to the museum. Right. Yeah, yeah it's so it's funny. Yeah, but, but in I'm a way, it's like you're like a comic who didn't have to like grub it out at the Boston every week for like three years and you went almost straight to Madison Square Garden. <laughs> Who's going to complain <laughs> about that? You know, it's like amazing. I can't complain. I can't complain. I mean, you know, of course, we all want every star to align and everything to just go in order and, yeah, and right. work. And, oh, yeah, we all um, want, we all want yeah, every, we, yeah. yeah. We do. I but I mean, I think just people seeing the work for personally, like, I don't know. I, my ambition was never this or that. It was just like, if I can just make work and people will, and I could do that for a living and like people will go look at it. I don't give a shit if I'm like this huge, who cares? Like, as long as I could just show the work and people can see it. And I totally, I completely agree. And I have to tell myself all the time because my, where my studio is, there are some, huge stars around and that's awesome but um to have a family to have a full-time career to have had the privilege of showing you know with some of the people I love and and you know 
all of it, you can't, you know, you have to, I mean, we all strive for more, but it's like, I have to remind myself all the time that I've had a good run. It's, it's what I want to do. I really love my work. Yeah. And I just taught my daughter how to draw. She, um, they've been in my studio their whole lives. She's applying to high school and decided to apply to the performing arts school, you know, the, oh, the and visual they've arts. always, yeah, the visual arts, they've crafted in my studio. They've, they've always like been remarkable with what they could make with what's around the house, you know, mm -hmm. but she sat down and started drawing and I was totally on her cause we had a super short time to do it, but she did it. She did everything I said, you know, like she completely surprised herself nice. and it was awesome. And then she's like, Oh, mommy, you're talented. <laughs> so adorable that like for some reason it's drawing that makes people realize that you are skilled right yeah. <laughs> not this it's, huge sculpture that i've been making all these years i know right isn't it funny how that's like the common denominator for like the large percentage of humans it's like oh it wow is. you made that flower look just like that flower and then it wow. works it's like <laughs> magic you know yeah it doesn't matter what but, else you could build this imaginary like geometric crazy sculpture thing that like it's like fractal based that explodes to the sky, like, you know, like a Sarah Zay's sort of thing. Or, or totally, right. And then they're just like, yeah, that's cool. And then that's like cool, you make you, you make a portrait <laughs> of them, that, like a cartoonist on the at the amusement park, and they're like, whoa, that looks just like me. <laughs> <laughs> For sure, it is. But human nature. I almost think, it, yeah, human nature, because the other stuff is just sort of outside the realm of yes. how did you do that? You know, like in yeah. the drawing, they can relate to. Right. But but that's I loved that. I, you know, having a teenager, it's like you're feeling that separation happen. And this was such a beautiful connection. Um, so, I mean, there's so many parts to being an artist that are really valuable and you have to keep reminding yourself. Yeah, that's really <laughs> nice that you had that moment. When when I, I did the Marie Walsh Sharp residency and Sloan was, so my one, my youngest was like nine months and my older one was two or three. Mm-hmm. And I put all of the three-year-old's pictures on the back of my door. And my younger one picked up a crayon and was just scribbling. And my older one looked at me and she's like, it's all right. She doesn't have a gallery. And what? I was like, oh, my oh God. Boy. What have I been saying about around these kids? You know, like, oh your gallery on the back of my door. Yeah, it, it's funny when that when what you do kind of comes under radar a little bit. Oh, God, it's horrifying. For me, it was, uh, yeah, it is. For me, it was, oh, but sometimes it's cool, like where they actually look at you and they think, oh, you're doing something, you yeah. know, which is kind of nice as a parent because, you know, 99% of the time you're just a pain in the ass. Right. Or most parents are just away and the kid has no idea what they do, you know. Like, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. The vacant, like there's not their person. Yeah. That's dangerous. Yeah. In New York City, I mean, so you grew up here for a few years but then you went to Connecticut was it a huge well I guess you weren't that old to where it seemed totally different I guess or did you we actually hated it we we really loved our New York life we loved our um cement park you know we loved we had pet frogs and people toads. yeah we and we loved our Italian ices like we were really New York kids and then when we moved to Connecticut it was the year of the ice storm remember that movie oh the yeah that was a great movie it was a great movie and it was real, like it really happened. Yeah. And so we lived, you know, sort of in the woods and Were we Were you in outside. New Canaan? I was next to New Canaan in Stanford, but I saw the ice storm in the movie theater in New Canaan. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there's so many but, beautiful modern, you know, modernist houses in New Canaan. Yeah. Oh, that's, I mean, 
where I grew up is actually well-rounded. And so those other towns we found very limiting. Right. But um, when we went outside and every single branch of every tree was covered in ice, we started to love it. We were like, oh, my God, we live in this magical kingdom. And oh, that yeah. sort of was the turning point of enjoying Connecticut. Yeah, it's like a line witch in a wardrobe all of a sudden. Like it's this, yeah, it was it yeah. was cool. Like, yeah. But um, it was, I had a perfectly happy childhood. You know, I had a very, I made art. You know, I was one of the kids that was the artist of the school, yeah. you know, in high school. But So um, you were always pretty creative. What about music? Were you into music too? Super into music. Like, in line at three o'clock in the morning to get concert tickets and oh, super wow. into seeing hundreds of shows, but not talented in any way in music. That's you fine. Know? We, you know, yeah. being a, a parti- or taking it in is, you know, yeah. part of it. But were you into everything or just like rock or pop? Uh, alternative 80s and 90s. You know, like super, like I saw all Green those Day. bands every tour. What? Green Day. I never was into Green Day, but I was, it was earlier. Cure, Smith, you know, oh, like right, all right. those bands. So all those bands, Susan Banshees and the Placement. Like, and then I also saw Jethro Tull and the Who and like early, early stuff when I was in elementary school. But yeah, I saw everything. Nice. <laughs> Wait, did and you I go to the to city to see it or were you seeing it in Connecticut? Or both? Um, both. New Haven Civic Center had a lot of good shows and then came into the city. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So you still rock out in the studio while you're making work uh yeah i'm that wasn't, i'm bored with that everything wasn't right convincing now at all <laughs> no, yeah <laughs> i'm super bored i took my girls to their first show last weekend at terminal five and it was friggin' awesome oh really who can i yep. ask who oh, yeah we saw cave town which is this 23 year old who's fabulous it was everybody knew every word it was never like heard of them. ideal oh you should totally listen it's really it was you know they're 11 and 14, so they That's needed cool. a parent. But yeah. it was uh, soon enough they can go by themselves. Were you? Was that the first show you've seen since COVID? Um, we, w- we saw Tom Segura last night, which was really funny. Nice. The comedian. Yeah. But um, yeah, no, I haven't seen a lot of music. I'm trying to think. I just yeah. asked because Terminal 5 was the first show that I saw after COVID, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it was packed. Yeah, and was, to be honest, yeah. my daughter has COVID. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, the 11 year old. Um, she wears a mask always, always, always. So I actually think that's where she probably got it. She was wearing a mask the whole concert, but um, yeah, but it's everybody was screaming those friggin' lyrics. And you Omicron's know, so. like, it doesn't care about math. It just seems like it's so, you know. Right, and she's um, not boosted because you know so. Right. Yeah. But she's hard, right? <laughs> She's fine, and she said it was one of the best experiences of her life. <laughs> so well, there you like, go. Balance, yeah. Price of admission, um, you know, you got to <laughs> deal with these things, I guess. But seriously, that's like, you know, someone really sm- uh, smart was talking about on the news about, um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, every all the young people in the world had to basically shut down their life so older people could be safe. And now they're saying that like older people have to be a little more careful and shut themselves off a little because younger people need to go out there and live or else they're just going to become, you know, really, really affected by as if they already haven't been. So, yeah, I mean, we all need to get out and like watch some live music. It's good for the soul. You know, you need that. It's like why we live. Yeah. I mean, the burnout. Yeah. (laughs) It's tough, right? It's tough. It was a tough balance. Yeah. We survived it well. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been a lot. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, and the, the funny part is, you know, talking to so many artists, it's like being in the studio is like a quarantine for most of us who don't have like a team of assistants, you know, usually you're comfortable going and being by yourself all day. It's almost desirable. <laughs> it was, uh, that's what I do. I actually, you know, I'm in there alone. I, I was, I had a solo show, a museum show, um, at the, um, at the Nuka Museum, which is in New Orleans at Tulane. And I stood there and this guy was telling these two young students, he's like, she doesn't even touch this work. She, she has hundreds of assistants. <laughs> right in front and, of uh, you? Right in front of me. He didn't know it was me. And, and it was really Whoops. only because he was talking to two young women students. that yeah. I was like, you know what? It's my work and, and I make all of it, every aspect of it, I don't have anybody else touch the work. I do it all. And then I found out that his wife was on the board. <laughs> I, like, I shouldn't have embarrassed him. Yeah, but, yeah, but know, he had it coming. That's like, I know. I that really just find seems that frustrating. laced with sexism. You know what I mean? I, like, maybe it wasn't, but maybe it says it about every artist, but come on. Why, yeah. why do you, even if that were the case, why would you need to say that? You know what I mean? Like judgy, because people do have assistance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that doesn't, you know, you may feel differently. One may feel differently about the work, but, you know, I love a Warhol that was screened by someone else. You know what I mean? And it's part of the work, you know. But it was I, I think it was it essential was... you stood up for yourself and told this person that it is part of your work that you make every part of your work, you know. Don't it, get it, it felt up. that way to me. I mean, in some way, it's a compliment. I'm like, oh, yay. People think that this took 100 people to make. Right. <laughs> that's <laughs> like, true. That's kind of cool. But on the other hand, um, in that environment, you know, I was like, no, no. You know, I did it all and you could do it all. You know, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's, I've always done really big work. So it's, even when I had my first solo show at this gallery called Claire Oliver, my name was up, you know, as soon as you walk in. And I spent a lot of time there because I was young and I, thought I should be in the gallery when people came in right. and um and they said he like the whole time everybody referred to the artist as a he <laughs> like, okay. yeah. Yeah. The name. I mean yeah. the art world so was yeah. that the space that was on Chelsea where the name was like it was raised up a little bit like you go up the steps to get into the gallery yeah yeah I remember that space is it still yeah. there no mm -mm. she had a 10-year lease and she's in Harlem I think okay but um, yeah, yeah, I, I worked with them for two years and she sold my entire solo show um, right after the crash. Like wow. the whole show before mine was being put in a truck to go right back to the artist's studio. And I was like, oh no. And then she sold to European. So that was very lucky. Yeah. Like it was right before the European crash happened. And, um, and that, it, you know, that lasted a couple of years and then and then it wasn't working anymore. Yeah. Um, but it was a good, it was a, people still tell me that they saw that show. So it was good visibility. And I love, uh, I love that you were saying that you hung out there because you thought, you know, when you're younger <laughs> and you first have your shows, you're like, I should probably be there a lot. I should talk to people. And yeah. Like, no. like opening the door <laughs> for them out front. Like, hey, come on in. This is my work. You know, <laughs> we've all been there. I think in my thesis show in grad school, I just sat there the whole time. Oh, you got I a know. question? You, anything? <laughs> You know, because you were like, who work so <laughs> right. hard for something. You kind of want right. to. Nowadays, it's like depressing. Like I have my, sh you know, I you put a show up and you, it's like leaving your kids at college or something. It's like, all right, yeah. go do it. 
Good luck. Go do it. And then hopefully the I don't see you like in, that. Hopefully yeah. I don't see you in, the, in a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, I mean, it's hard to know. If you put your work in a really good person's hands, then great. Yeah. You know, like that's the beauty of a good gallery artist relationship. But Definitely. So, yeah. well, when you, can we go back to that um, raccoon story or the deer story for a second? Sure. That was the, the sort of light switch moment in a way, right? So did you yeah. go right into blowing that up in scale? Did it, did it sort of migrate to what your work is now pretty quickly? It did. I mean, I got the scale thing immediately. But at the time, I was buying taxidermy online. I was like one of those eBay people who like had the best connection so I could in the last second bid on and buy the thing. But I just... You know, then you get this thing that's been in someone's attic for 10 years and the leather's like potato chips and it's a disaster. And it, it, all of it took me time. It was this concept that I wanted to develop, but like there was so much of an uphill battle learning how to sculpt the face and learning how to get and deal with leather. And so um, I did a few other pieces, again, with like big teeth and sort of satirical stuff. Um, And then at some point I realized that the faces had to be calm like and I wish my work had humor never never worked you know the the subjects too too sensitive or you know something about it but um so I made the faces really calm and then when I did a residency in Provincetown I was talking to a poet and he was like you know the reason that works is because um that people can project on the face more instead of being the static decided expression if it's a really calm expression you can in the next moment you expect it to do what you want it to do so that always and and same with the bodies i always put them in really like regal dignified positions sort of true to the animal um but let's see so i continue to work big i change the faces and then when i did the the residency in provincetown i went to this science scientist friend of mine who i met um to do the animal body myself instead of buying it. Right. And, uh, and so I was in Michigan. I stayed with my professor who I'm really close with. And I spent the weekend with him. And she's like, so you're going to be with this scientist mounting coyotes all weekend. I'm like, yep. <laughs> so I couldn't get over that expression. But um, so that was that. Like I learned how to do the body myself. I had these seven months of this glorious residency. And that was like a really big turning point so then I could create the narratives I wanted by doing it and it's just like I do the very clean hide on a foam form and there's a lot of work that goes into that but I'm not fleshing the animal do you use the computer at all to sketch out to like 3d model things I wish I did I, I absolutely don't even put pencil to paper oh, like you just, I don't do any you're of going it I, I'm like a ceramicist you just yeah. yeah I just make it there's the a lot of chance that I really love, you know, like there's a lot of chance, even when I like take a hide and remove the fur, you don't even know what skin color it's going to be. Like you can get a white antelope and the skin is black. You know, it's like a, that's a wonderful, um, it's a wonderful element that I try to like highlight in the work that, um, to play with the hide gives you so much. It's such a, like, we could talk about this all day, but like, um, there is no other material like that. It's very strange that I use 
the skin of another animal. <laughs> but on the other hand, it's out there. I only take ones that are damaged, you know, and not going to be used for something else. And then it just has this energy. And the whole point of making that suggestion is saying, look at the similarities. Look how much you react to this. If it's the same skin of the animal transformed, repositioned, and shaved, then that connection is undeniable. Right. You know, it's a little bit like, um, like in a store, like buying your meat in the store and you don't think about like how it's made and all that stuff because people are buying shoes that are made of leather or belts or like, you know, a, a jacket that has fur on it and they don't think twice about it. But if it looks more real, people get freaked out or like, oh, why are you using, you know what I mean? How could you? Yeah. But it's like, dude, you're wearing like what you're complaining about right now. You know what I'm saying? It, it's, I totally get it. And I'm that person, um, like Kevin brought home, my husband brought home chicken and he was like putting his hand in there and cleaning it out. And I'm like, no, buy the breast meat in the plastic. <laughs> I want to see that stuff. And then I ended up making a piece with that chicken. But, um, yeah, we are so complex that way. Yeah. And, and I have to use that. I can't, what's interesting is I can't use people's knowledge of animals. People do not know enough about animals anymore. Right. They don't know that the colored birds is the male. Like, it's remarkable to me. But there is still a lot that they primarily react to. Yeah. Like, people still react when they're in front of my work, especially physically in front of it. So I know that there's that that I can rely on. Yeah. Well, is it, is it a little bit freeing? Because, like, if people knew the anatomy and knew the ins and outs of everything, wouldn't they just get more nitpicky? It's almost like when a scientist goes to watch, like, a sci-fi film and they're breaking down all the things that don't right. work with the plot. You <laughs> That's know not I mean? right. Yeah, for sure. So at least maybe they're not doing Like, because with your anatomy, are you, does it have to be mapped out exactly? Or are you, are you just freeing it, like, freewheeling it a bit? I'm, I'm actually true to the animal because they're so friggin' remarkable. Like, animals are remarkable. And I do not want anybody to think that I'm making this up. Like what they come with, the stripes and the spots and the coloring is so much more beautiful than anything I could make. And I want to say this pink belly on this coyote is completely real fur. I didn't put pink in it, you know, like, or whatever. These spots are the way it really comes. Um, but because I do the face, you know, people are drawn to the face. So that's right. where they sit. And then the, the rest is just animal, you know, right. like I don't have to worry. And and I don't make taxidermy the way a taxidermist will. So the, the point of that is to make the animal you have at the size that it is. And I'll totally, you know, make the legs wider or whatever with extra hide for my sculpture. You know, like to make okay. it work with the head. Right, so I, right. That's what I was curious I, about. Like yeah, if you, I'm not. Because it, it's never going to be exactly like what the animal is like, right? It's pretty close. Okay. I neuter all of them too, though. I just like, I neuter everything. No, but I mean, I'm talking about the skin. Like, let's say if you have the hide of a, of the belly or something, like, how do you know how round that belly or the shape of it exactly? Do you, how can you follow the skin exactly if you don't have the skin around it while you're doing it? Do you know what I'm saying? So you buy the form. Oh, there, never mind. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, people have asked me to teach animal anatomy. I'm like, can't do that. That's like, I do so much work on these sculptures, but I do not sculpt the animal. Yeah. I reference, you know, I look and look and look and you get a hide and like, so when I did this ginormous double zebra piece, you put the hide on, I changed the form because they were identical. You can only get so many shapes in your forms and I wanted a rearing zebra. Right. So I got two of the exact same one. I cut them at the shoulder and the elbow and the neck and rearranged that. And then 
you put the hide on and it's this big wet carpet and you pull it and you've got 10 inches and you take it off and you carve the whole thing down for days oh, and then I you see. put it on you've got nine inches <laughs> you're like, Darn it, you know, like, so you so it's a step-by-step step process yeah yeah, yeah it's, just, it's, a, it's like whittling sort of, it away so it until it fits until it fits and you haven't lost too much of the right. muscle shape and everything yeah 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 it's pretty uh, the, the interesting part about it i'm sure is unlike like if you do you know representational painting someone will sit there and tell you you mix these put these together whatever you're not really going to get a teacher who's going to teach you this stuff. You probably just learned it by doing it, right? I learned it by doing it, and I am, like, always kicking myself. I never took a traditional taxidermy course. I never took a traditional portraiture course. I have people who sit. So I have models sit for me for right. the faces. Cause, um, and some of them are from, like, the academy, and they're like, well, wait, Kate, why aren't you, like, measuring it out the way you're supposed to? <laughs> and, and I kind of just do it my own way. But um, for the... For the hides, I had that really good scientist teach me, but I still miss things. And then I went, I had the zebras, they came from a zoo, and I had one re, um, re, um, what's the word for it? Uh, it's weird, I'm blanking on the word. But, um, huh, what is the word? Well, tanned. <laughs> so the hide gets tanned. Oh, I right, took them right. to Long Island to be re-tanned. And when I left, first of all, the guy did not think I was going to make that piece. He's like, here you go. <laughs> like, he did not believe for a second that I was going to make these oh, really? two zebra. No. <laughs> I had to send a picture. I'm like, here. Told you. Um, <laughs> yep, told you. Um, but uh, he said, when you re-soak it, re-soak it in warm water. And I had never heard that. I had never done that. I re-soaked it in warm water. And I'm like, oh, the stretch. Oh, the stretch you get when you re-soak uh, it in warm water. And there was years into me doing these. And I was so frustrated that, that's you know. That's so funny. You were like, why couldn't someone have told me that? Or why didn't I figure it? You know, like, why didn't I watch a video? It's, I think the thing is, it's, taxidermy has come a really long way. And you have much better um ways to learn about it now where yeah. it used to be you know when i started it was guys in their mother-in-law's basement you know like it was right and now it's it's taken on a different now it's a youtube sort of master class yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's so yeah it's funny the um the process that reminds me of uh you know once in a while when i'm teaching i'll have a student whose canvas is really loose and kind of like yeah. floppy and then yeah. i tell them oh you just spray warm water on the back and i show them and they're like you could see the look in her eye, like, oh, my God. Like, I, oh, my God. Why right. didn't someone teach me that years ago? You know, and I, like all their canvases used to be like super floppy and loose. All you need, warm water. I'm sure they're so grateful. Like, they'll never forget you because of that. I, <laughs> it's true. Well, like, I those had little it, things. I had it because uh, my when I first was taping and my paintings, my, all my lines were crappy. They were all like blurry like you know they had like a yeah, crappy edge right, it's hard yeah. and then uh you know matthew ritchie came as a guest um visiting artist and he was like hey do you because i had a crit with him he's like do you want me to talk about how how to make these look better or do you want to talk about the content and i was like the content of course because you know uh -huh. i didn't want to waste time right. talking shop so afterwards um the next studio visit i had was with robert reed who's one of my professors and i was like hey do you know how to keep my tape lines from looking crappy like this? He's like, yeah, you just use matte medium first. And then when it dries, then you paint over it. And I did it. And I was like, oh, my God. Like years. Yeah, well, right, like for a sure. year and a half or something of like all these bad paintings could have been 
you know, is that Perfect. I'll never forget yeah. that he taught me that, you know. Yeah. Those little moments, yeah. you know, those little it's learning true. things can really, can really help. I know. And it is a weird balance of skill and concept, you know, that I truly believe, like, I, I couldn't make this work if I wasn't skilled enough for the faces to resonate right. as believable, you know, so it's like that balance of. Like, that's one thing that comes up a lot at the New York Academy because those kids are unbelievably skilled and driven. And it's like, I started critting there six or seven years ago, and I was like, okay, please tell me three words besides beautiful, skilled, you know, whatever, that you want people to say about your work, and they couldn't come up with them, you know? And so, luckily, the school's changed so much and come into its own as far as concept, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, it's... It's a balance. If you get stuck with the skills, then you can't progress. But if you don't have enough, you can't complete your ideas. Yeah, so for sure. Like, yeah. Um, considering that you, I feel like your work is pretty singular. There's not a lot of people who are working the way you're working. Like, is there a lot of, uh, I'm, I'm sure you love going to see lots of different art. Are there certain artists that just resonate with you or that you really are really keyed into what they're doing and love their work? I love I mean, yeah, I love a ton of work. Um, a lot of it has nothing to do with my work. You know, like people's work I love that has nothing to do. Bob Ross. You're trying to say Bob Ross without saying Bob Ross. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to look at more people who use color because I'm really not a colorist. Oh, I'm trying well, to you're ready-mating work. it in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. I mean, I right, I have to work with what's there. Yeah. I don't add color. But I'm trying to do more 2D, and I'm, I want to see if I can go there. But... I like, I've always loved artists who um, use materials in a way that transforms them. Yeah. Like, I think that, that that's what I think I'm doing, <laughs> whether other people get it or not. And just like, I love artists who have a material and then they have a starting point with that and then something completely different comes out of it. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah um, like the, the Tim Hawkinson, you know, the... Um, elephant hide that he made out of aluminum oh, foil. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like that for me was, I saw that years ago in a museum and I'm like, that's very similar to what I'm trying to say. I want this thing that resonates in one world but then completely talks about a different world. Did you see his Uber organ when it was in that Sony center in the city? No. I think was it was, that, oh, the... It's a gigantic it, pipe organ thing with like and it sheet wasn't, music that was fed into. It was just amazing. Oh, no, I never saw that. Yeah, his work is so cool i agree it's so magical and inventive and just like super cool <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a, and i have a friend who i believe maybe was his assistant or told me some stories about but he just seems like such an interesting person like the way he thinks about making work although i can't I say that i've seen his work recently that's true i saw it a few years ago it must take um, a while yeah it must take a while i saw him talk to high school age kids I would say at the old Whitney and um and it was hysterical because oh, they really? were like they were urban kids like you know yeah. not not kids who go to the museum that much and he had made a piece maybe out of tires and all they wanted to know they're like well how much did the tires cost <laughs> and then how much did you make and he's like that's not the point <laughs> right you know, to the like, business. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and he was really good natured about it and really funny that's cool <laughs> yeah, yeah it would be great to hear him talk I think 
Tom Friedman was a good talk too. I saw him when I, I was bet. in grad school, and then I was at Skowhegan with him, but that was different because he didn't That's really cool. like lecture, lecture. You know what I mean? But his talk I love was really his work, and the and I remember a collector came in and reprimanded me. She was like, "My prices are high, but like it's just because I've been able to sell. You know, I can't anyway." She said, don't ever talk about the cost of your materials because someone can make a fabulous piece out of 50 pencils and it's just as valuable, you know, and that, that was a good lesson for me to be like, okay, it's true. Like you choose your materials. You can't, um, Oh, you don't base your price on that. Yeah. Tell that to Damien Hurst with the uh, skull with the diamonds on it. Yeah. That's (laughs) 40,000. You know, I saw that I was in England and I saw that. Oh, really? Yeah, and there are these two fabulous, like, super punk rock English guys behind me. And they were like, oh, I have to call my mom. Like, it was so funny <laughs> about how ineffective it was right. in, in the end, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, yeah, just diamonds on the skull. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, like, rainbowy. They were weird diamonds, too. Oh, were really? Like, were they, like, they couldn't just yeah. be regular old? <laughs> no, they, I mean, they gave off that reflection of, like, when you go to the the lighting stores in Chinatown, you know, like that. Oh, uh, like the Swarovski crystal thing, like hanging yeah, from like, the tree, the prismatic. Yeah. So fancy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you listen to a lot of music in the studio? Um, I listen to a full range. Um, like sometimes I'll go to CrossFit and it'll be hip hop and I'll just continue with that in the studio. Um, I just take my coaches. Like I'm so I'm alone all day long. I'm alone for 12 hours. I get there at 8. I pick up my kids from sports at 8. So it's like I am desperate for things to listen to to keep me entertained. I listen to a lot of books on tape, and I listen to a lot of music, but I'm never like, ooh, this sounds fresh. I'm kind of like re-listening to the same stuff over and over again. Yeah. Um, If you have recommendations, I'm totally into it. Oh, I I won't (laughs) shut up about it. Don't. Careful. Oh, good. Good. I'll call you later. (laughs) I like a lot of different stuff. Um, well, you did that designer video. You were involved with that, which is pretty cool. I'm sure that gave you some street cred with the kids. <laughs> it's it's so funny. I mean, now, so that was uh, that was in this beautiful moment where I had not working with a gallery. Um, I'm not so great about reaching out and sort of marketing my work. Everything I try does not work and sort of a waste of my time. But then I have these people reach out to me. Um, and I hate to be so passive, but it's just worked for me. So at the same time, Claudia Rankin, who's this unbelievable, now famous poet, she wasn't as famous in the moment, but she reached out to me to be in her book, Citizen. I did a documentary with National Geographic, and I got this email saying, Kanye West's production team wants you to work with them on this video. So then that happened really quickly. I'd always wanted to do something in music and this was just the perfect fit <laughs> because they really wanted exactly what I make. Yeah. You know, they weren't trying to get me right, to right. craft something for them. So they came to the studio and um, designer was 18. He's like, yeah, I really love your work. <laughs> like, Thanks, <dude. laughs> and he lives around the corner from me in Bed-Stuy. Yeah. Um, so uh, I had just made a bust that was similar. And I was like, I can make this. I'm not going to obviously make it out of panda hide, but I can make it out of bear or right. antelope. And it was great. It was a lot of hurry up and wait. It was a lot of craziness. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I that own song the mask. was huge. It was huge. And it was so exhausting because there was so much hurry up and wait. And that song was in my window all night long. And I'm like, can I please just get some sleep? Oh, <laughs> like, my God. Yeah. Not hear it on the bus and not yeah. hear it in the ringtone. And like, but it was totally a joy. When they finally, when the video finally came out, we went to see it at Jay-Z's 4040 Club. 
which was super fun. And then I talked to the manager and she's like, tomorrow we're going to be on Colbert. Do you want to come? So then we got to go do oh, that. Cool. And we sat with his parent. Like the whole thing was just charming and wonderful. And um, oh, I so never they premiered the video at the uh, club. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. It was so cool. It was such a New York moment because it was like, they're like, okay, it's tomorrow. And it was a Monday night and we didn't have a babysitter. So oh, I get boy. Yeah, I get a friend of a babysitter. So yeah. this woman we've never met, I get on my block. There's six guys that have, six police that have fugitive on their vests. I'm like, okay, cool. There's a fugitive on my block, babysitter we don't know. Oh, my God. Um, we get in the Uber. We're driving towards Manhattan, and we're in a Hasidic neighborhood, and a little boy rides out on his bike, and we hit the bike. Oh, my God. So the kid goes up. So we have to get out. But then we get to go to Jay-Z's 4040 Club and have this incredible night. <laughs> It's like, it's like yeah, it's so just cool. a random Monday the kid was in fine. New York. Totally fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that was all. I mean, that the collaboration means a lot to me because it's like um, the National Geographic said, you know, your message is our message. But then she filmed for two months and, and made this lovely documentary. And I love having that when I get pushback. Um, but they, of course, skewed it towards their message. Right. And then Claudia was talking about, Claudia Rankin, the, the poet, was talking about something completely different, you know, the way she saw the work. And then designers like, oh, yeah, this is really urban. I'm like, okay. You know, right. like, and that, I mean, I love. And then I did this thing with Aquafina, too, which was super fun. She ended up not using it in her show. But she Wait, was I didn't know this. Do tell. Uh, oh. Um, so she has a sh she had a show coming out called Nora from Nora Queens. Nora from Queens, yeah, that's a great yeah. show. And the opening was going to be that she was in this super fancy apartment and she was, there was like all these stairs and she's like, every apartment in New York has stairs, you know, like, and because then it was going to go to the idea that she lives with her dad in Queens right. and she, they were looking at apartments and they saw my sculpture in this super fancy apartment. So they didn't want to use that apartment, but they asked if they could borrow my sculpture for the opening uh, scene. Yeah. And then it broke in trans, in, in like transporting it. So I Your came piece home. broke? Just the ear, you know, oh, nothing okay. hard to fix. So I fixed it, but then I got to be on set because then I delivered it. So she was totally hysterical. Um, and then she finally came up to the bedroom floor where they were going to film it. And she's like, this is your work? And I said, yeah. She's like, you're a psychopath, but I really love the work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it was owned, you know, like, yeah. she, so anyway, um, they didn't end up using it, but it was just such a fun, like, I've been very lucky with the collab, like things I really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, Oh, she's so and, cool. It's like, oh my god! Just listening to her voice was so funny. Great, you know. Yeah, she's funny, and, and she's so loud that I could hear like every scene being filmed on every floor. Have you listened <laughs> to her hip hop, like her records? Oh my god! It's hilarious. The early stuff is so hilarious. I know it's really good. She went to LaGuardia, yeah. played trumpet. Oh, that's fabulous! For I music. didn't know that. Yep, she was a LaGuardia grad in music wow. and went on to do, you know, hip hop. Then just like conquer the box office, sort of pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's awesome. Do you, that made, the breaking of the ear made me think, do you know Kohei Nawa's work? Um, I'm so He's bad a Japanese artist, and what he does is he uses glass balls to create. Oh, yeah, of course I know his work. You know yes, that I stuff, love right? that work. Isn't that cool? I do love that work. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. And that's exactly what I think of when I'm saying that you take something and you transform it. You take something that has a starting point and you just transform it in a way that completely changes the conversation that's work that I yeah and but he does it with funny things yeah. you know sneakers and the Madonna you know like all that stuff that has a very specific cultural starting point right 
Um, but yeah, I love Lana. That's cool. I've never shown with him. I've been really lucky that I've shown with tons of people who use taxidermy in a truly conceptual way. Yeah. But I don't know why I've never shown with him. He has a piece at the Met, I believe. I think oh, they yeah. got one of those deer, the glass deer ones. It's really pretty yeah. cool. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I've been saw, showing in Japan for a while, so I've, I saw his work a long time ago, and um, I believe actually the 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 gallery I used to show at showed him, and uh, it was just like whoa! It was you know, there's like those certain pieces that are just like whoa pieces, you know? Absolutely. Just like, I show that work when I when I try to talk to people about changing the surface of a piece to have a different narrative. Yeah. You know, there's like a lot of us do that, you know, but there's it's like a you can completely change a conversation if you like or create a narrative just by surface. Definitely. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so, well, listen, I've taken a lot of your time. <laughs> it's really cool to get to know like your work and, and your story and, you know, that whole deer and the road and how that all came about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I should have. I mean, I, I remember meeting Jeffrey Deitch years ago. Um, anyway, it's a long story that I won't get into, but I, I knew at the time I should have a better story. Listen, you know, like you no, not at all. No one ever asks me anything about me. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> at least, they, at least people look for an origin story. I, for me, yeah, it's like true. you know, I'm I'm maybe like more akin to the Warholian of like I'm just not interesting at all. Maybe the work is, but it has nothing to do with me, really. You know what I mean? I like, think that's so, a beautiful way to be. You know, like I'm so proud when. I Google myself and there's never an image of me. You know, it's like, I think that's great. Yeah. I'd much rather see the work come up. It's, it's gotta be that. Well, that's, know? that's also the beauty of, you know, being quote, as my sister-in-law would say, relatively known, being a relatively right. known artist is that no one ever knows what you look like, you know? Yeah. Well, yes. social media. It gives you so much too. freedom. Yeah. It does. You know, like, yeah. You don't have to, your face doesn't have to be, you know, it's it's pretty great. You could just do your thing, and then people get to know the work. Uh, ideally, over time, they just get interested in it. Yeah, and I'm kind of past the like. There have definitely been times where collectors wanted to meet me and were visibly disappointed that I wasn't edgier. You know that I wasn't oh, yeah. physically um, like my work. You know, like physically agitating the viewer you know like well like tatted um, up with like a nose ring yeah right some, super pierced and yeah, yeah, yeah definitely i know you um, <laughs> you don't you do not have that look <laughs> <laughs> i don't yeah. and you know i want balance in my life you know <laughs> so it's like, i think it's even better you know what i mean i love I, when you see like work that looks goth and the person's like totally normcore who makes it or you know what i mean or they're yeah. like beautiful like little paintings of like portraits and the person just like looks like Robert Smith or something and you're like oh, right for sure and your hands are like blocks and you're like yeah. wait <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 the unexpected but um yeah I mean it's we're lucky it's great to connect with you Brian it's like it's such a great community here and it's it's you know agreed it's, it's nice to see all the whole variety of who who's making work and what they're doing and saying and yeah, that's, I mean, this podcast for me, being able to talk to all these people, has been a real fun experience, you know, and you realize just how amazing, like, all these people are, right in yeah, the hood really and all over the world, you know? Yeah, I'm just opening my studio back to studio visits. I've done a bunch, and it just feels so good. Yeah. It's, you know. I know it's good. We're yeah. getting back to some sort of yeah. 
it's feeling like I got my first cold in a couple years right. and it sucked. <laughs> it sucked. You're like, what are these germs it was that I've been avoiding? Congestion right. felt so foreign to me. It was awful, but it, it, deep down it felt good. It was like, okay. Right. That meant Normal I breathed thing. in <laughs> something, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It well, it was great yeah. to talk to you. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. It was great to talk to you. And I hope I can come over and check out the studio. Yes, please. please I don't think we're that far. I think so. Yeah. I'm near the Navy Yard. Where are you? Oh, I'm near Williamsburg. That's not far. Perfect. Perfect. Anywhere in the five boroughs isn't that far. To be. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thank you. Take care. All right. Sound and Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to the website, soundofvisionpodcast.com. You can find images by going to Instagram, at soundofvisionpodcast. You can find more about my work at brianalfred.net or on Instagram, at alfredstudio. I do have a current solo show up until the 23rd called Escape Plan at Miles McHenry Gallery. If you can check it out, please do also. Why I Make Art, Contemporary Artist Stories About Life and Work is the Sound of Vision podcast book, which is available for pre-order at Altelier Editions. You can get it on their website, and there's a link from the Sound of Vision podcast website to that. You can also find it on Amazon, Target, whatever, Barnes Noble, it'll be everywhere. It's a really cool project. I think it's a great book, and I think you'll be really interested in it. Great images, some sketchbook sketches, quotes, features on artists. So check it out. Many thanks to Kate for taking the time to speak with me. Many thanks to Michael Lovett for the intro. And many thanks to you for listening. If you can, check out iTunes and leave a rating and review for the podcast. I've been told it helps spread the word and and get the word out about the podcast to other people or just share it tell a friend about it if you think they're interested in hearing these artist stories thanks for your support more very interesting artists coming soon every week thank you